Good morning, church. Uh, before I read our morning scripture today, I wanted to introduce our guest speaker. This morning, we are in, a, uh, in for a special treat because we have Jarrett Meek from uh, Mission Adelante joining us to give our, our sermon this morning. Uh, M- Mission Adelante is one of our most treasured outreach partners at Christ Community Church. We have actually been partners in ministry for over 15 years with Mission Adelante, which is longer than Gabe's been here, longer than I've been here, longer than our downtown campus has been here. I was in seventh grade 15 years ago, so it's been a very long time. Uh, but Mission Adelante, if you don't know much about them, they do a work to serve refugees and immigrants in Kansas City, Kansas, and through a variety of programs, through discipleship, youth programs, um, adult ESL classes, citizenship classes, other things, economic development. And something that really stood out to me uh, when I was um, uh, went there to observe some programs a few months ago was how intentional they are about developing leaders from within the community they're serving. I was just super impressed by how many staff and leaders there uh, were people who were in their youth programs as a kid and now as they've grown up are now serving as leaders and and, and, and staff there. Uh, so if you, if you have int- interest in kind of learning more about Mission Adelante after hearing Jarrett speak, feel free to reach out to him today and stop by, stop by and talk to him or talk to me or go on their website. They have uh, volunteer observation nights coming up in November that you, you can look into if you're interested in that. But uh, before we, we uh, welcome Jarrett here, let me read God's word for us this morning. Our, our scripture reading comes from Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 21. Hear, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolishness or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is, or is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord, walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine light on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks, Gabe. Uh, appreciate Gabe giving me this light passage today to preach on. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
It's, uh, it's like there's like 15 sermons in this passage. <laughs> so I'll try, and, I'll try and pull out just one today. Um, it's good to be with you, Christ community. Um, if I have a hard time with my ear mic here, I might grab one of these handhelds at some point. Um, my big ears kind of make this thing jiggle a little bit. So um, let's start with prayer. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, uh, which challenges us, which comforts us, which... Um, gives us a vision for uh, the life abundant that you have promised us. And we just pray today that this word would land deep in each of our hearts and that you would speak to each of us wherever we happen to be today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm an urban farmer. I don't know if you guys knew that about me. Those who follow me on Facebook might see me posting about my garden and all that kind of thing. But it's one of the hobbies that I love to do. And yesterday was compost day for me. So I don't know... How many of you guys, if you're gardeners, the compost pile has become this obsession of mine. I don't know what that is all all about, but, you know, I dump my grass clippings, my leaves, my coffee grounds. We've got chickens in our backyard, so the chicken poop goes in there. And after a year, like yesterday, I got 15 wheelbarrows full of nice, rich dirt to put on my garden. And I tilled it in, and it it was great. And so... You know, we've got blackberries, chickens. My wife has promised me that we can get honeybees next year as as our next step in this deal. But, you know, one thing weird happened. You know, I like to plant some of my things by seed, so I planted tomato seeds this year. And, you know, I started them inside and then moved them outside, and this tomato plant started to grow in my backyard. And as it was growing, it started putting on fruit, and I was just kind of watching it. You know, it gets exciting. And then This weird thing happened, my tomato plant, I was like, this fruit looks kind of strange. These tomatoes are looking different. And so this tomato, it started out green, but it starts getting oblong. I'm like, what is going on with these tomatoes? And there's a cluster of them all together, and they're getting longer. And then all of a sudden, they start turning yellow. I'm like, this is weird. They're supposed to turn orange and then red. And the next thing you know, I'm looking at this tomato plant going, it created bananas. You guys didn't buy that, did you, right? (laughs) The weirdest thing would be for a tomato plant to produce bananas. It just doesn't happen, right? Nobody's going to buy that. Um, When we plant something, the DNA of those seeds produces predictable fruit. It's the same thing in our Christian life. You know, in this passage, it starts out in the first verse and it says therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and so our DNA friends as believers is that of beloved children and as we dig into this passage we're going to see what the real fruit of beloved children looks like it's tomatoes it's not bananas on the plant right and so what is sown produces predictable fruit and in us as we have placed our faith in Jesus, he calls us his beloved children. And there are certain things that are produced in our life naturally and also that we have to fight for that correspond with that status as beloved children. You know, a lot of times what is sown in us um, bears that fruit. So sometimes if abuse was sown in our lives, we end up abusing others. Sometimes if disappointment or rejection was sown in our lives, we live with bitterness or we tend to reject others or hold others at a distance. What is sown in us 
bears its fruit in different ways. But the beautiful thing, friends, is that we have a new identity in Jesus. We have a new identity in Jesus that can replace that old DNA that was sown in us, that sinful nature that produces fruits of darkness. And so today we're going to look at what it looks like um, to be beloved children. What are the expressions in our daily life of fruit that's becoming of beloved children? Four ways that our identity as beloved children is expressed in our daily lives. I want to start out with the first couple verses here and reread these together. Um, It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love it that the very first thing that he says here is, as beloved children, walk in love. So the very first fruit that is obvious of a beloved child is that that which is sown in us of being loved is then expressed to others in love. And he goes a little bit further. He talks about um, Jesus' love for us and what that looked like, the sacrificial nature of it, pouring himself out for us. You know, I know in part of this series, you guys have talked about kind of what's happening a lot these days in terms of deconstructing faith and reconstructing faith. And I'll tell you guys, for me, over the last several years, there's been some reconstruction and deconstruction around this topic, personally. Uh, And for me, what reconstruction of my faith has looked like has been a newer understanding, a greater understanding of the primacy of the commandment to love our neighbor as ourself. And so a lot of other things that I used to kind of hold up higher or used to be attached um, to different, you know, to maybe even secular or political ideologies have been stripped away from my faith. And I've said, you know what? I think Jesus is calling us and he's holding up, and I see it more and more in Scripture, the value of loving our neighbor. And that being the most important fruit that a beloved child of God bears in his life. And for me, it happened a lot by this clash. You know, we serve immigrants and refugees at Mishnadilante, and I've been swimming in that water and making friends with people and being neighbors with people and serving people from all places. And then we have this political clash and all this bad stuff being said about immigrants. And I'm just like, I don't like that. And then when it's Christians saying it and buying into that, I'm just like, something's wrong here and that kind of forced me into a place of going wait a minute where of where is my ideology married itself to my christianity and made it so i'm not loving people well and i've seen that happen and it's caused this angst within me over the last several years and and it's been part of the deconstruction going wait a minute, i need to pull these things out of here and i need to get back to what jesus called us to do and so loving our neighbor as ourself. And part of that for me has been focusing in on that last phrase, the as yourself part. What does it look like for me to put myself in my neighbor's shoes and love my neighbor the way I would want to be loved if I were them? It's a call to an imagination of what my neighbor experiences, how my neighbor sees life, how my neighbor experiences different things. And it says, and Jesus is calling us in this commandment to see life through our neighbor's eyes and love our neighbor as we would want to be loved if we were in their situation. And it's a big challenge. It's, uh, 
the first thing that beloved children express in their lives, love for others, love for neighbor. You know, I came across um, this story in 1 Kings that I hadn't read in a while, and I just loved it as I processed it this week. um, You know, it's the prophet Elijah, and it's in a time where there's a drought, and God sends him, um, he basically sends him to be alone by this little river, and God's providing everything he needs, and then the river dries up. And so God says, no, go to this town called Sidon, which is not a Jewish town, it's um, a Gentile town, and go there, and there's this lady who I've, who I've told to take care of you and to provide what you need. And so he goes to Sidon. He's kind of out of his element now. He's in an area with people of a different race and a different religion, different culture, and he comes upon this lady at the gates of the town, and she's gathering firewood. And he comes up to her and he says, uh, would you please give me some water? And so she's like, sure, sir, I would be happy to. And she starts walking away to give him some water. And he goes, oh, and some bread too. And the lady stops and turns around and, and addresses him again. And she goes, I'm sorry, sir, but I just have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil left. And this, you know, we've been hungry, my son and I, and we're about to die. And this is our last meal. I was just going to make our last meal before we die. This is all I've got. And Elijah goes, go ahead and make some bread and give me the first loaf of bread that you make. And then the Lord will continue to provide for you. And the lady does it. I don't know what it was about her culture, about her heart, whatever, the sense of hospitality for a stranger. I don't know what it was, but there's a hero story in this for her, her faith in believing this, even though she was not a child of God in the sense of being an Israelite. And she goes and she uses her last flour and her last bit of oil when she and her son are about to die of hunger and she gives it, makes bread and gives it to Elijah. What an act of sacrifice, of sacrificial love to this person who is a stranger in her land. How many of us are ready to love in this kind of a sacrificial way, to give the last of what we have for somebody else. The rest of the story continues, and of course, God did continue to replenish the supply of this woman and her son, and she did not go hungry, and she was able to continue to supply and sustain Elijah during that time. The first way that our identity as beloved children is expressed in our daily lives is in the way we love others walking in sacrificial love. Have you ever met anybody who has endured suffering graciously? Um, we've all, we all have hardship. We all go through difficult times. In fact, probably even at this moment, a portion of you are going through some really hard stuff, right? That's true. We go through hard stuff. Several years ago, um, a friend of ours, a, a couple of ours, a couple friend, a family, Uh, who lives in Costa Rica, they were actually the ones who befriended us when we were in Costa Rica learning Spanish. They lost their 16-year-old son. He was on a a school trip to this river in Costa Rica, and he hit his head on a rock, and he drowned, and it was devastating for their family. 
And we've remained close to Edwin and Sadie now. You know, it's been 20 years since we first met them, and we're still friends with them and still close. But I can remember that time that they were walking through the pain and the grief, and it's still there. 20 years later, there's that pain that's just still there. It just doesn't go away when you lose a kid. But Edwin and Sadie, and particularly Edwin, somehow in the middle of this, he just hung on. In the middle of his grief and pain and struggle, he just somehow found a way to hang on to his faith, to hang on to his love for God, to hang on to a sense of thankfulness in the middle of the storm that he was going through. And I just sat back and watched this example of faithfulness in grief that has been an inspiration to me to this day. Our grief is real, our hardship is real, but in the middle of that, there can be an orientation of thanksgiving towards God, an orientation of hanging on to Him and hanging on to hope and faith. And I want to just read to you, there's a couple verses and so much that's in this passage that I want to pull out in verse, verses 4 and 20. I just want to read those again. It says, Let there be no filthiest nor filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving so in the middle of everything let there be thanksgiving and then if we go on down to 20 he hits on this theme again it says giving thanks always and for everything to the to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ so in the middle of everything else that we have here we find this theme of thanksgiving kind of being mentioned a couple different times and we see that one of the fruits that bubbles up and is sets on on this plant of a beloved child is an orientation of thanksgiving towards God. In Psalm 13, we find David expressing exactly the same thing. In whatever it is that we're experiencing, and in David's situation, you know, he was he became a great warrior under King Saul. And so here he is, he's doing his job, and he's doing it well. In fact, he's doing it too well. So well that King Saul begins to become jealous of him and starts trying to kill him. He's like, I don't like it that David's getting like all this honor and glory from everybody. And so Saul starts trying to pursue David, and David is wrestling in this situation over and over again uh, with Saul kind of pursuing him, and we see the Psalms, and particularly Psalm 13, it's a nice short example of how David processes in the middle of his hardship still a thanksgiving. And I just want to read that for you guys. It says, David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? It's okay when we're grieving to say stuff like that. He's saying, Will you forget me forever? How long is this going to go on? He's, he's complaining a bit here. He says, How long will you hide your face from me? David feels like God has abandoned him. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? All day long, David is experiencing this sorrow. Sometimes that's just the place that we're at, is it not? We experience that. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord God. He's getting a little demanding there. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Okay, now he's being dramatic, right? <laughs> lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. Okay, that's the first four verses. 
we get the sense of where David is right now, right? He's in a dark place. But let's read 5 and 6. He says, but I have trusted in what? I have trusted in your steadfast love. David is rooted as a child of God, a beloved child, and he is trusting in that. He's hanging on to that place in the middle of his trial. I have trusted in your steadfast love. When we are going through stuff, guys, gosh, we've got to hang on to that. We've got to go right back to what is our root. That root of this plant is that we are a beloved child of God. And so whatever we're going through, what's going to be born on us is a tomato, not a banana. Right? And then he says in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the middle of that, He's honest about his struggle, but he is hanging on to the root of his belovedness in God, and it is producing thanksgiving in the middle of that. Friends, our identity as beloved children is expressed in our daily lives through an orientation of thanksgiving to our Father. About three weeks ago, um, I was out on a Monday night, and on this Monday night, uh, we have arts community at Mission Adelante, and it's a, a great program for kids. And I get a call from one of our staff members saying, Brenda and Alberto would like to talk to you. Are you coming by tonight at all? And I was out doing some partnership stuff with Freedom Fire Ministries, and I said, well, I'll probably be back around 8.30 about the time that arts community ends. And she goes, well, they'd like to wait for you. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> you never know what's coming. Um, and so sure enough, I got back about 8.45, and they were sitting in the parking lot waiting for me, and I texted them and said, hey, I'm here, and so they came in, and their 10-year-old daughter, when they came in, she goes, I don't know what this is about, <laughs> and I was like, I don't either, <laughs> so we sat down, and Brenda and Alberto said, Pastor, um, and they're, they're very involved with our church community at Mission Adelante, they said, Pastor, we've noticed for the last few weeks that you've seemed kind of down, like you're discouraged. And we just wanted to let you know that we're here for you. We just wanted to let you know that if you want to share anything with us about what's going on with you, we would love to steward that and care for you like you care for us. And I was speechless. That doesn't happen very often. And they, they, they just, my eyes started welling up and I just, I just was compelled to just open up and share with them some hard stuff that I had been wrestling with. And there was this trust between us at that moment and then they just prayed for me and I just felt so cared for. And friends, this has been like three or four weeks now and I'm still, it's like I just drank a cup of espresso. <laughs> I've been, I've had this sense of joy that's come in and every day I wake up thinking about that interaction that I had with those guys and it's just beautiful. And I just, as a pastor, just felt so cared for in that time. And I still do and we just have this special connection now. I've been like texting them almost every day and they text me back and I encourage one another. I'm just like, what a beautiful thing. Friends, our words are powerful. Our words to other people are powerful, whether it's to our children, our spouses, our friends, our pastor, 
our community, they hold power. Verses 18 and 19 kind of speaks to this a little bit, and I want to read these again for us here. Um, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's a sermon for another day, right? But be filled with the Spirit. And then 19 says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and mel- making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is talking about how we're addressing one another. And it's giving a picture, and now it seems like sometimes to us it's like, wow, that's super spiritual. Am I going to come up and sing a hymn to Gabe or a spiritual song or whatever? But he is talking about the words that we use with one another should build up, should encourage, should inspire. There should be a sense of when we interact with one another, there is love expressed. There is joy expressed. There's, there is a sense of... Um, we are lifting each other up with our words, and too often, wherever it is, whether it, I mean, normally it happens in a bad way. It, you know, our, our spouse and our kids see the worst side of us at, at times. And so this is us as a community, but it's also in the other places where we are in community closely, intimately with our coworkers, with our husband or wife or our spouse or our kids, And our identity as beloved children bubbles up and produces this fruit of encouraging words towards one another. So we've talked about this now. Um, In our four ways, we've talked about our identity as beloved children is expressed in sacrificial love for others it's expressed in an orientation of thanksgiving towards the father it's expressed in building others up with our words Um, now to the fun part guys some of the strongest words in this passage are in verse 3 and verses 5 to 12 and i want to unpack this and this is the part i really give thanks to gabe for (laughs) appreciate you brother (laughs) All right, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And then if we bump down to verse 5, we say, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the Son's of disobedience and continuing on therefore do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness you were a different plant god has replaced your dna at one time you were darkness those are strong words but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light bear that kind of fruit don't bear bananas anymore give us a tomato here the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. We'll stop there. That's plenty, right, for now? Wow. Strong words by the Apostle Paul, and if we think about that, we just have to let those words soak in a little bit. Um, We have to think about I guess, ask the question, why is sexuality such an important thing? Um, 
why are these words so strong in here? You know, why does God care about this in our lives? And I, you know, I think we go back to Genesis chapter 1 in this for me to even try to answer that question. And, you know, in Genesis 1, God created us in his image, which means there are lots of things about us that reflect the image of God, that display something about who he is. And I would say included in that is our capacity for intimacy, our capacity to know and be known at the deepest level, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. And something about marriage reflects that in some way in the sense of two becoming one and connecting that with this ability and possibility to give yourself completely to another person in love. And when that's distorted, when we distort that, somehow we distort the image of God that's placed in us. We don't reflect it properly. And so I believe for that reason, sexuality and the way we express our sexual nature as human beings is important to God. And so we have these words here of the Apostle Paul, but Jesus doesn't really let us off the hook on this either. In fact, um, you know, a lot of times we like to kind of lean on Jesus for his graciousness. And that's amazing, but when it comes to different topics, um, he can be strong too. In fact, uh, early in his ministry, he starts and he goes and preaches this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, and it talks about a lot of different topics. At the front end of this, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a strong statement because the Pharisees are like known to be the strictest ones. They're the ones that have the highest standards supposedly and somehow Jesus is saying, no, these guys are missing it. They're not, they don't get it. And he continues on and early on after that he goes, let's just talk about sexual purity. Let's talk about adultery, friends. Let's talk about what the, that looks like. And he gets to the heart of the matter. He says, it's not just if you've actually committed adultery physically. It's if you've lusted after somebody who's not your spouse. You've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus puts the bar all the way up here. And he says, the Pharisees have this standard and they're not cutting it. This is my standard. The standard of God when it comes to sexuality is... What's going on in our heart? What's going on in our heart, in that place where we talk to God or we ignore him? Where we silently process our temptations and embrace them or resist them? Where we confess or where we justify our sins? in that secret place with God where we feel conviction and sorrow or where we numb the voice of the Holy Spirit on our conscience. That is the place. And one of the things I think Jesus would tell us is that we spend a lot of time thinking about the sexual sins of other people and not enough time processing what's happening in our own heart. It's easy to point a finger at what's happening in our culture, what's happening out there, what this group or that group does. But when we look at the standard that Jesus set, he's like, I'm writing your sins in the dirt on the ground. 
if you know what I'm referring to. And we each kind of have to look at that and go, before I think about the adulterous woman that was brought in front of me to be stoned um, and who I'm saying, yeah, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, stop. And let's go, what's going on in my own heart? And this week I read an article in Psychology Today about pornography use. Thanks, Gabe, for this. I appreciate it. (laughs) In the last six months... 98% of the men polled in this survey had used pornography. 98%! 73% of women in the last six months. Friends, it's look inside of us. In the last week, 80% of men, 26% of women. That inner place where we talk to God or ignore Him where we silently process our temptations, where we embrace them or resist them. We're all squirming right now, aren't we? Where we confess or where we justify our sins. Where we feel conviction and sorrow and repent or where we numb the voice of our conscience. Our identity as beloved children is expressed in our inner character. It's expressed in our inner character and how that lives itself out inside us and outside. And friends, we didn't become beloved children of Christ by perfect obedience. We came beloved children of Christ through faith by grace, right? And so we got to hang on to that. And when we find ourselves falling and struggling and not making it and whatever, you know what? Repentance looks like Staying alert with your conscience, not numbing it. It looks like coming before God and saying, I feel this, and I can't do it, and I need you, and I need your grace. And we stay beloved children of God. We didn't become beloved children of God through perfection, and we won't cease to be beloved children of God by imperfection. But God is calling us to maintain that sense of sensitivity in our conscience to the things he's telling us. A famous basketball coach from UCLA, John Wooden, said the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. So we've seen the four ways that our identity as beloved children is expressed in our daily lives. First, it's expressed and primarily, in this most beautiful thing, by our sacrificial love for others. Secondly, it's expressed in an orientation of thanksgiving towards God. Third, in building others up with our words. And fourth, it's expressed in our inner character. Now, I want to close by just tying the, the knot back to Jesus himself. So Jesus, before he started his ministry, do you guys remember he was baptized? He was baptized by John the Baptist in the river, and as he came up, what did he hear? He heard these words from his Father in heaven. He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, in all of his humanity, and maybe this was for everybody else, but I believe it was for him too, he's hearing his Father's voice say, beloved Son, I am well pleased in you, and Jesus is hanging on to that. I believe he needed that. I believe he needed to hear that because where did he go right after that? To the desert. 
to be tempted by Satan, to say, you're hungry, here, I can give you food. You want power, here, look, let's rule together. Mm. And Jesus said, no, I resist temptation because I am the beloved son of my father. And his whole ministry was lived out in the knowledge, and I just believe that those words spoken to him at the beginning of his ministry reverberated through every act that he did all the way to, I can go to the cross even though I feel like my father isn't here, I know I'm his beloved son, and I can go to the cross because of it. My sacrificial love can be culminated in pouring out everything that I am on the cross. Why? Because that's the fruit of being the beloved son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you for your love for us, for your great love for us. We long to be able to bear fruit in keeping with that, and we struggle to do it. Sometimes we're not loving, sometimes we're selfish, sometimes we get bitter in our hearts and we can't give you thanks. Sometimes our words cut others down, and sometimes what's happening inside us in our character is tainted by sin. Temptation. We close our hearts off to you and stop listening. Jesus, we just pray. We thank you for your grace because, oh, do we need it. We thank you for your grace, and we just pray that you would manifest yourself through us in powerful ways that we would be seen in this way as loving, thanksgiving, encouragers, people of character. In Jesus' name, amen.